Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah, continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah. I want to welcome those who are joining us via live stream, also those listening uh, via the radio. I would ask that you also would follow along in the scriptures. Okay, let's take a look in Nehemiah chapter 9 and follow along, if you would, in verse 1 and following. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, in sackcloth, and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord, their God. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts today. You'd give us ears to hear, that we would be attentive to the teaching and preaching of your word. And I ask that you'll just have your way in this service. May you be exalted. May the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, be made much of. May you be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen. Four preachers met for a little friendly gathering, and these were some big F fundamentalist preachers. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I say big F fundamentalists. And these four preachers, they got together, and um, during the conversation, one preacher said, Our people come to us and and, and they they pour out their hearts. They often confess certain things. They confess their sins. They tell us their needs. I think we ought to do the same. Right here with each other. Well, confession's good for the soul, one of the preachers said. Why not? In due time, they all agreed. So one confessed, he said, well, guys, you know, don't tell anybody this, but uh, sometimes I like to go to the movies. <laughs> Remember, they're big at fundamentalists. Sometimes after church, I even sneak away and go to it. Well, second confessed, well, since we're kind of letting our vices be known, I, I kind of like to smoke cigars. In fact, I've been known to puff away on a few cigars every now and then. And so, when I get away from, from church, I, I like to smoke a cigar. Well, the third guy, he said, well, you know, I just be honest, I, I like to play uh, Texas Hold'em. <laughs> you know, just, just for, 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 for chips, you know, not for real money. But I, I do like to play cards. Well, the fourth guy, he, he wouldn't confess. He just sat there tight-lipped, wasn't saying anything. So the others, they kind of begin to pressure him, and they said, now come on now, Johnny, we confessed our sin, now you confess yours. What's your secret vice? Come on, tell us. Finally, Johnny answered, it's gossiping, and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> well, I don't know what your vice is, I'm not here to hear it out loud, but... Uh, Definitely the one thing we want to look at as we go through chapter 9 is the importance of genuine confession. And I know um, that term uh, in good Bible-believing churches uh, should be understood from a biblical perspective. We don't meet in a little room up front and you go into a little booth and tell the person next to you your sins. That's not confession. 
The Catholics may do that, but that's not biblical confession. In fact, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man. He's the one who intercedes on our behalf. But what about confession? It is good for the soul. It truly is. We're going to see the people, the Israelites, who, as we recall in chapter 8, there's been this revival, this national revival that started amongst the people of God. They've been scattered. They've been in the land of Babylon. They've been in captivity. Prior to that, they were with the Assyrians. They had been led, led off by the Assyrians. They've been in the Babylonian captivity over 70 years. Now they're under the rule, under the thumb of the Medes and the Persians. But yet, they're being allowed back into their land and we're seeing God move amongst His people and there's revival. In fact, in chapter 8, you'll recall when they came in, we talked about the several feasts that, that took place, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They were rediscovering these things. And so this is probably one of the first times they're beginning to gather back together. And they, uh, In chapter 8, they were experiencing this revival to the point of conviction. And you remember, Ezra instructed them that they were not to mourn, Because the joy of the Lord was their strength. And so now we fast forward and we find ourselves in the same month, on the 24th day, and the children of Israel were assembled together again. You know, it's been said that in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1, that the first uh, situation that took place there was the gathering to hear the law. And now in nine one they're gathered to confess their sins in response to the law. Some have said that Nehemiah is divided in two themes: the, build, the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, chapters one through six, and then the second deals with the rebuilding of the people, chapter seven through thirteen. And so we see the rebuilding of God's people here. On the 24th day, they're gathered back, they're assembled together again, and in this situation, they're there fasting in sackcloth and dirt upon their heads. And what's this all about? And so we want to take a look at what it means. Today's sermon is entitled, A Return to Worship. A Return to Worship. We live in a time where God's people need to return to worship. And it's going to start with God's Word, chapter 8, which should lead to a response, as we see in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, confession of sin. So, let's see if this will work. It helps if I turn it on. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. This is the only text I'm going to cover today. We actually should be covering the whole chapter. This is the, one of the longest recorded prayers in all of Scripture. You're going to see as this unfolds that there will be this prayer, this extended prayer, if you will, and and it is the longest in recorded Scripture. But today I'm only going to keep you, Lord willing, for verses 1 through 3. Now with that said, i got four points. So stay tuned. Let's move fast. Conviction of sin should lead us to four things. One, repentance. And we see this in verses 1 and 2 happening in the children of God, the people uh, of Israel, as they were back in the land. They were gathered back together from the captivity. They're rebuilding the temple. They've rebuilt the walls. And now they themselves are being rebuilt spiritually. And it starts with repentance. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. I don't know where you are before a holy God. God does. But I know He calls us all to repentance. And repentance is not a one-time deal. You know, too often times some folks think, well, I, I, I surrendered my life to God, I'm done. I checked, I checked the box, I prayed that prayer, I'm okay, I'm on my way to heaven. And they go on and live their life the way they've always lived. I would use the words of Paul, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. We must daily repent. Yes, justification is a one-time deal, it's finished at the cross. If you've come to Christ in saving faith, you've received the Son of God as your Lord and Savior, you are sealed until the day of redemption. 
The Scripture makes that plain. But we're in a process of that salvation called sanctification. And as we talked this morning in 1 John 1, 9, the Christian's daily bar of soap, if you haven't bathed spiritually lately, you might want to take a look at it. And it starts with confessing your sin. And if you will confess your sin, agree with God that it's wrong, turn from it, He will forgive you of your sin. And He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Repentance. Repentance grows as faith grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks, a temporary penance to get over as fast as possible. No, it's the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. Repentance is the inseparable companion of faith. Charles Spurgeon. Is that how you understand repentance? We know the children have gathered there. Again, this is sometime later in that month. And the people are there. And they're assembled and they're fasting and the sackcloth and the dirt. And I think, uh, again, these things speak to a denial. A denial of the flesh. A denial of the comforts. This is an outward expression of what's happening in the heart. That's why later on, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they've got it wrong because they're they're only doing it for the mere externals. They want people to see their faces dirty so that they know that, oh, well, they're spiritual. Look, they're fasting. And Jesus, remember, He says, no, you should not do such. Do not fast as to be seen by men. And so that's why, you know, I, I have a real issue today when, when certain uh, re- religious sects of the Christian faith uh, want to mark their foreheads and let everybody know what they're doing. I don't see that as being biblical. And yet, it's grounded in the Old Testament, but what is the heart behind what they're doing? It's not for mere external. It's not that others might see is that it was an expression of what God was already doing in their heart. And no doubt He is doing a work here by chapter 9 in the heart of the people of God. You know, as Christians, we're told in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't put on sackcloth and pour ash on our head and and do those things anymore. Those things were merely, again, a point to the denying of the flesh. And, of course, we are instructed, and we'll look at a passage in a little while in the New Testament, about denying self, dying to self. But we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You know, what an area of repentance we need. Especially in Christian American, in, in, in American Christianity. Being challenged in our studies that we're doing from, uh, Randy mentioned earlier, from not a fan to uh, I am in Sunday school study and then the Nehemiah book. And, and there just seems to be this common thread and common theme of our need to escape comfortable Christianity. A call back to repentance, confession, the denying of self, self-gratification. Everything in this society says, gratify yourself. And yet the Scripture says, deny yourself. Do we not see the conflict in these two philosophies? So... Who are we going to hear? And the people of Israel, no doubt, they knew at this point, they knew this is what got them in trouble. This is why they had been let let out captives by the Assyrians. This is why they had been in Babylonian captivity. This is why they had been scattered from their land. Because they began to embrace 
the idols and the pagan uh, influences of the world around them to the point that it saturated their lives and they became ineffective in, in, in their witness. New Testament tells us that if salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under man. Church, we need to awaken that if this happens to God's chosen people of Israel, don't think that our witness of God's people today, the church, can't somehow lose its salt and flavor here in this country. God's church is always, it's going to be here. And He promised He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But let's not be so pious that He needs America to do it. He's got His people all around the world. Just as He had a remnant in those days, God always has His remnant. Let's be His remnant. Even in the midst of a pagan culture, even in the midst of a world that's gone astray, We must be the salt. We must be the light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that who you're wearing? Are you simply wearing Him as an external? Or is it you're wearing Him because it's a motivation of the heart? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. When someone is truly convicted of their sin, their flesh is brought into submission. The Israelites were these people. In this text, can you imagine? I mean, they have just, they've had opposition from Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemy from without. They've been struggling with the enemy from within. They've been having to deal with the things that their own brothers were cheating them, and they told them to stop it. And you, you remember our nice Bob Newhart Stop It video. Um, and so these things have been happening in the midst of these people, and now they're so to a point in their sanctification process, if we want to deem it as such, that they're now at a point of brokenness to the point of where they're recognizing and their, their need for repentance... And that's what's causing them to react in such a way, to respond in such a way. When someone is truly convicted of their sin, their flesh is brought into submission. The second thing we find here is separation. And this is a subject that the uh, independent Baptists used to really uh, magnify. And quite honestly, it's a subject you don't hear much of anymore taught. And I'm one for biblical balance. But separation is something that is taught in Scripture. And we need to understand it. And so when we see here, even in the Old Testament, the people, the, uh, the people of Israel, they understood this. Notice that in verse 2, then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. They separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. You recall in Ezra, and many of you I ask you to to read the the background uh, information of of the book of Ezra. And you'll recall at one point uh, Ezra had asked those who had taken foreign wives to put away their wives. Because this had been an offense. This is just one of many things. And so in this call to repentance, many of these Israelites, the true Israelites, were putting away their wives. This is why when you go back and you remember the the study where we had the genealogy and it had all the crazy names listed through there. Yeah, we remember, Pastor. It took us like 10 minutes to read through it. Um, And you'll recall that part of the reason why the census of Ezra and the census of Nehemiah seemingly was conflicting. The totals were the same, but the names listed in the count, if you actually took a count, seemed in contradiction. And remember we talked about how uh, theologians, liberal theologians and uh, scoffers and scholars of the day will try to use that text to say, see, the Bible doesn't even get its own story right. But yet this points to the fact of, of what that answer was because in that consensus that was recorded... One reflects those who came in, and the other reflects those 
once they put away their foreign wives and those that were true of the true lineage were recorded. And so we see here that this is again mentioned and we understand the um, implication. When we think of the idea of, of separation... I'm reminded of, of this thought. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. Is not this the first divine call and consecration? When we speak of the word consecration, we think of dedication or of sanctification. And this as well. However, dedication must at all times be preceded by separation. Do you understand what he's saying? You can't be separated you can't be dedicated unless you're separated we must come out before we can come in we must be separated from before we can be consecrated to that's just good stuff i hope you're not sleeping we must be separated from before we can be consecrated to. Separation is the call of the whole Bible. I mean, that's, that's what this book is, is all about. I mean, it's calling us to separation. Are we not a chosen people? Are we not a holy nation? Are we not a royal priesthood? Are we not a remnant? Are we not God's elect? Are we not those who are called out, separated from the rest of the world? Separation is the call of the whole Bible, the very plight in which Israel had found herself in the days of Nehemiah. Remember, this is what got it in trouble, got, got Israel in trouble in the first place. They weren't separated. They became just like the rest of the world around them. And so now, in this move of God, the people of Israel are separating themselves once again. And that's why we're seeing this revival. The very plight in which Israel found herself in the days of Nehemiah with her walls broken down and her gates burned was due to the fact that she had mingled among the nations and had been untrue to her vows instead of being a people separated unto God. Now let me just ask ourselves, church, we are the bride. Have we been faithful in our vows? Are we mingling? I'm not talking Christian mingle either. All right. Farmers.com for that matter. Right? I'm just saying. I mean, am I mingling? Are we mingling? Are we, are we so tainted by the world around us that we're not separated from the world? And I'm not speaking in a legalistic fashion. I'm speaking from a biblical heart of this is our call upon our life as the bride of Christ who readies herself for the wedding day. We got some in here preparing for the wedding day. There's a lot of preparation going on, right? Church, we're preparing ourselves for the wedding day. There's lots of planning to do, right? Separation. Second Corinthians six seventeen says, Therefore, come out from among them. This is New Testament, by the way, guys. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. In the context, we're reminded of not being, uh, do not be unequally yoked. Believer with an unbeliever. What fellowship does light have with darkness? No doubt, separation is a message that is not preached much anymore. At least not biblically preached. And it is something that we need to be mindful of. 
We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We must penetrate the world with the gospel of Christ. So therefore, we must go into the world. But that doesn't mean that we are like the world. Separation. When someone is truly convicted of their sin, they purify their lives from things that will cause them to stumble. When someone is truly convicted of their sin, they purify their lives from the things that will cause them to stumble. I remember when I first surrendered my life to Christ, age 25, and you guys know my testimony, I I was living in a deep, dark sin. I was in a a bad place. And when I I surrendered my life to Christ, um, one of the hardest things for me to do was to separate myself from the life I knew. That's all I knew. All I knew was those co-workers that I partied with. All I knew were those people that I clubbed with and went to the bar with and and, and enjoyed watching sports together and doing things together. These were my pals. But I knew that when my life was surrendered to Christ, that I had to separate myself from them. Not just for my sake, but for their sake. Because if I'm going to be a witness to them, I must show them the way. And the only way I can show them the way is if I choose to follow Christ. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. And so there was a denying of self. There was a dying of self. There was this conviction of sin that knew I couldn't stay there and therefore the purification process that the Spirit of God was doing in my life was at work. And I could either obey or I could disobey. And I can tell you, early on, there were a lot of stumbles. A lot. We stumble today. But when we do, by the grace of God, 1 John 1, 9, we get up and we continue to run the race. And even there, He's told us in His Word to lay aside every sin that so easily trips you so that you can run the race. So again, separation. Be holy, for I am holy. Christ said that. There's a call for us to be pure in our life. And guys, if we're going to experience revival in this country, it's not going to come through some guy shouting and running around the platform and woo, slinging their shirts around and singing about 20 songs and getting everybody amped up with emotion. It's going to come from the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the obedience to God. That's what it takes. That's it, guys. The world has a different view of what revival, even amongst the church, is. Even Christians, I think, we don't quite understand biblical revival. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Some of us need to start there. Some of us need to start there. Third thing, confession. Confession. Notice that in verse 3, they confessed their sins. So here they are, they've gathered back together. And uh, they are fasting in sackcloth, and, and there's repentance being seen. They've separated themselves from the foreigners. They begin to put away. By the way, they probably had not completely cleansed themselves. There were still some guys hanging on to their, to their pagan wives. But, but man, she's such a good cook. Come on. You know, you must put her away. That's his Hebrew name. Don't ask me to spell it. You wonder how that played out, though. I mean, really, I just did. We had a good discussion on this. I wonder what that re- how that really played out, you know? Well, here's the tale again. Put away your wife. <laughs> so, anyways. I think they had 
they had finally separated themselves from the foreigners. They stood and they confessed their sins and iniquities of the Father. So we see confession took place here. This was important. They had realized and admitted their missing of the mark. As we gain some knowledge of God, we'll see how corrupt we are and thus seek Him again. If it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating Him to scrutinize himself, for we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. This pride is innate in all of us. Unless by clear proofs we stand convinced of our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly, and impurity. Moreover, we are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord. Who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured? John Calvin. What is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, look, guys, you're never going to know how sinful you really are. I'm never going to know how sinful I truly am unless I look to God to measure myself. Oh, we'll, we'll measure ourselves amongst each other. Well, at least I don't do this. At least I ain't like that guy. You know who we're being? We're being like the righteous, self-righteous Pharisee who said, well, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. And then the sinner's over there just laying down face to the ground, beating his chest, God forgive me. He, he didn't even feel worthy to even look up. That's how broken he was in his sinfulness. Guys, the only way we're going to understand how sinful we are is if we look into the Word of God and see the character of God, see the face of God, because this is how He's chosen to reveal us, reveal Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us through the Word, and by the way, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's why when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to see the Father, if you want to see what God is like, we look into the Word of God. And in this time, all they had was the law. First five books that we now have in our Bible. So those first five books, the Torah, the people, as they begin to read this, remember they've rediscovered the Word now that they're back in the land, and they had asked Ezra, please, read us the Word, read to us the Word. And as the Word was read all day, hey, 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 just saying. And in this context, how long is it happening? Come on, somebody help me out with this one. How long? Break it down. Three hours. And then three hours for what? Confession, right? Woo! Gonna be a long service today. I hope you brought the chicken. Guys, we look into the Word of God. It reveals who God is. Then, guess what? I see who I am. The Bible tells me that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have missed the mark. You know, the archers would fire that uh, arrow, and they would often, if they, if they did not hit the target, if they did not hit it in the right place, they would say, they sinned! They sinned! That's where this word comes from. They missed the mark. A sin might miss the target by an inch. It might miss it by ten feet. But it was still a sin either way. We sin when we do what God has told us not to do. Telling us either in His Word, in our conscience, or through legitimate authority. Or when we do not do what God has told us to do, telling us in His Word, our conscience, our authority. Not all sin is the same, but all sin is sin. David Guzik. Now, we sin because we're sinners. Lying doesn't make you a liar. You're a liar. That's why you lie. You guys understand the difference, right? We are born dead spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. We are born in total depravity. We are dead. 
So the reason that I steal, lie, cheat, drink, chew, go with girls that do, is because that's what's in our heart. Now, I don't do those things anymore because God's given me a new heart. <laughs> but be careful, there go I, except for the grace of God, right? We still stumble. But Allison does not chew, if any of you are asking. Okay. just want to make that clear. Confession. Confession. You know, I can't help but think of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 6, 5, we see this stated. So I said, woe is me. Isaiah the prophet says, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Guys, when we see the King, when we see Him for who He is, when we reflect upon His character, when we recognize through general revelation around us, and then we are revealed through special revelation who He is, when He's known, it does something to us. It lets us know, oh, woe is me. I am a man who is undone. I am in desperate need. And it's only through the quickening of the Holy Spirit that you and I are made alive. And this is why the gospel is so important that you and I take the good news of Jesus Christ into a lost and dying world. Because guess what? Zombie apocalypse has been going on since Adam and Eve fell. i got news for you. The walking dead. They're already amongst us. They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. And you got the cure. Shoot them with a gospel gun. You know, not metaphorically speaking. Somebody going to take that clip out of context. Oh, look at that! No. Anyway. Guys, we've got to take the good news to this world because we have the cure. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we've got to get our, get our eyes off of self. We've got to get our eyes off our circumstances. We've got to get our eyes on the Savior. And we're going to find that here in the Word of God, just like the people in Nehemiah's day were doing. They were returning from that pagan land. They were returning from that prison of captivity. And those of you who have come to Christ in saving faith, you've done the same thing spiritually speaking. You've walked away from that bondage that you were under in the realm of the Babylon. The wages of sin that kept you bound. Christ has set you free from that. And so as we return to Him in saving faith, as we're born again, as there's a new birth, as the Spirit of God quickens us, we're made alive. Wow, how precious the Word of God is. How hungry and thirsty we are for the truth. How like newborn babes that desire milk so we can grow thereby. That's what is happening A truly convicted heart will confess too much rather than too little. I remember as a new convert, man, I was like over at the preacher's house. I was over at Jeremy Sam's parents' house. I was, and man, I was just, you know, all right. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's too much info right there. We don't need no more. But I just want to get it out, man. I got to confess this stuff. This is what's going on in my life. This is real. And praise the Lord, they had the discernment to recognize not to put it up on the billboard in front, you know, in front of the church or air it out, you know. We need to allow the Spirit to convict and then we need to respond. And confession is part of that response. Pour your heart out. You know where you're at right now before a holy God. Pour your heart out, confess it. But guys, it's repentance, it's separation, it's confession. And you know what it's going to lead to? It's going to lead to worship. This is what naturally progresses here in this text. When you go home tonight and look this over, when you talk it over in your care groups, by the way, care groups, uh, leaders, 
Larry reminded me, hey, you got the questions? I forgot to do the questions. So I'm going to try and get you some questions before tonight. If not, <laughs> good luck with that. Just kidding. We don't, we don't believe in luck. Anyway, I'll try and get you an email out. Notice here in verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped and worshipped the Lord their God. You know, their confession, not only did they confess their sins, they even confessed their, their forefathers' sins. Now, you know your parents' sins aren't held against you. They're responsible for their own sins. But you have also noticed that the sins of your father have affected you, haven't they? Yes. And so these people were to that point of recognizing and realizing even the choices their parents made had affected them in such a way that they're crying out to God in forgiveness that that they they followed that same pattern. Because they saw in themselves that we've done the same thing. And isn't it interesting when sometimes we look at our own life and we reflect upon our sins, how they mimic often exactly what our parents did. And so there's this confession. And that confession, when they took the Word of God and were refreshed by the Spirit of God, now they begin to worship God. You know, we're told in John 4, 24, God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Question. What's true worship? What's true worship? Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. Or, translated another way, your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think this is one of the best definitions. I think this is the best definition in Scripture to define worship for us. Life is worship, guys. Your life is worship. You have been set apart to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Present your body a living sacrifice. Look, your motivation's there. Your motivation's spelled out right there in the text. Your motivation, because of the mercies, by the mercies of God. That ought to be your motivator. What has God done for you? Look at the mercy He's shown you. That should be our motivation for worship. Not because we amp it up and, you know, pump it up, shout it up. By the mercies of God. You know, I wonder if uh, if your wife came to you and said, uh, Honey, I just want you to know I love you. I think you're the greatest. I think you're the greatest, honey. But um, there's this guy I really like. I've met him. He's so nice. I just really like him. I'm just wondering, can I just be with him one day a week? Oh, ouch. All right, let's reverse that. Guys, can you imagine going to your wife? Hey, honey, you know, I was just thinking the other day. That is a great idea. I love you. You're the greatest. But I was kind of wanting to have a little lunch with this lady. Just 30 minutes on Friday. (laughs) Me and her. Yeah, that's probably coming, right? And then some. (laughs) Guys, think about this for a second. Ladies, think about this for a second. This is exactly, exactly what we do to God. We 
when we're not presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, when we are not honoring God through repentance, separation, and confession, when we're mingled with the world around us. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher, that's a little steep. Well, then, you know, don't take my word for it. Let's take James' word for it. He carries a little more weight, probably. James 4, 4 through 10 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, just 30 minutes a day, baby. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, the people here in Nehemiah's day, they, they understood this. They had come to this point of brokenness. They recognized how they had not been true to God in their relationship. And gang, if we're honest, we need to do an introspect. We need to do some searching of the heart. We need to, to ask and examine ourselves. Where are we too close to the edge you know, we live in a day where people want to know how close can they get to the line before it's considered sin? Well, can I do this and not do that? Will that be considered wrong? Why are we even asking that question? You know what I always tell, used to tell the youth? Guys, where are you going to fall off the Grand Canyon? Right there at the edge or a mile that way? Don't even get near it. Don't even get close to it. You don't got to worry about it, right? And by the grace of God, if we'll simply walk in faith and obedience to His Word as His light... Uh, His word is that lamp and light into our path and feet. We'll follow that. We're less likely to fall off the cliff. Now, take heed lest you do fall. We don't want to become prideful and build up that we think, oh, I'm I'm above that. I'm super spiritual. I'm glad I'm not like that guy. No. Humility. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Well, let me wrap this up. Uh, here's the answer. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Isn't this what the people of Nehemiah's day did? Isn't this what we're seeing played out in the Old Testament? Isn't this repeated in the New Testament? Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Because remember, and then you see, and, and your joy to gloom. They were told, look, look, let your mourning turn into to, to joy, it's the strength. But now we fast forward and now they're, they're, they're turning their joy into mourning. Guys, this is a constant sanctification work that goes in our life. Because we're daily living it out. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Worship. David Platt said, What if all it took to bring us to our knees and to ignite our affections was the Word opened and the presence of God? You know, I recognize some people probably tuning in to the live stream are wondering, Wow, that that church seems kind of quiet. You know, our church shouts and runs around and there's music playing for like 10 days. You know, look, that's fine if, if that's what they do. But guys, that's not what's needed for revival. What if, like David Platt is saying, what if, what if, if, we just, if we just opened the Word of God and the presence of God? What if that was enough for us? What if it didn't take a great band to evoke that kind of response from us in worship? What if His presence, His Word opened? What if it was enough? Gang, it is enough. And if we don't understand that, then the problem's not with the Word, and it's not with God's presence. It's with our own heart. If Jesus is who He says He is, and if His promises are rewarding, as rewarding as the Bible claims they are, then we may discover that satisfaction in our lives and success in the church are not found in what culture deems most important, but in radical abandonment to Jesus. Man. 
I got one more for you. We will not wish we'd made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of the world. Instead, we will wish we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. Think about your pursuits. Do your pursuits end there? Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the praise of the Father. To God be the glory. Let's be the people God has called us to be. It starts with repentance. It continues with separation, confession, and worship. We're not much different from God's chosen people of the Old Testament. In fact, we're reminded in the New Testament, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We're not going to do this in and of ourselves in our own strength. This comes from the Spirit of God who indwells the heart of us as believers. And by our faithful obedience to His revealed will, our lives will glorify God. And they will be that Romans 12, 1 and 2 that He's called us to be. Philippians 3, 3 reminds us this. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's powerful. Um, I pray that it's been faithfully delivered through Your power, through Your strength. And Lord, that You would draw men to Yourself. We've sought to lift You high today to glorify Your name. And so, Lord, I ask that You will do what only You can do. That You will draw many to Yourself. Thank You for the example that we find in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah through Your chosen people, the Israelites, and how they returned from captivity and displayed repentance, separation, confession, and worship. And may that truly be our response this day. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.